Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Darkest Hour. I'm your host, Amanda Jane. What is evil? Does a single act forever designate its actor with the title? Are reasons and arbitrary circumstances unworthy to hold weight past a certain point? Of course, us as a species have developed an definitive set of standards to designate good and evil. And most humans abide freely by these standards. But not all of us do. Psychologist Francis Galton posed a theory about nature versus nurture. Whether human behavior is created from the environment around them or constructed from the genes handed down. Are some of us destined to be evil, even from birth? A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but sadly, it's known to break at times. Tonight, we examine a few of those fragments, slivers retraced by the ones who've kindly shared them with me. So, let's get started, shall we? This happened a little over three years ago. I still don't have an explanation of what exactly happened to me, but I've got this story. I kept waking up in the forest. That was the first strange thing I noticed happening to me. I'd fall asleep normally, just in my bed or on the couch, but multiple times over a three-week period, I would wake up right behind my property line in the forest. Then, despite my efforts, it turned into every night. When this first started happening, my mind went to sleepwalking. It wasn't something I'd ever had, but I'd heard about it, and I'd seen it shown as a real thing. I started googling things like crazy, starting with that. After probably hours of clicking around, I felt sort of stuck. I mean... Everything I found literally ended with something like consult a physician or see a doctor. I'm out in Live Oak County in Three Rivers, Texas. And I'm sure that you don't know where that is because it's rural. It's so rural that we don't have a hospital and we don't have physicians. Our fire department is made up of volunteers. Not to mention, I work for myself And all that means is I don't have health insurance. Even just three years ago, things were harder when it came to getting regular types of care like that. Anyways, since it had only happened a couple of times, I tried to let it go. I closed and locked all the doors. Again, I'd fall asleep with no problems until I found myself waking up in the forest. Weeks into this, my situation hadn't changed. It actually seemed to be escalating. I was now waking up in the forest with bruises and cuts. They were in all places. Not just places that you'd expect to bump in the night. Places like my inner arms, my inner thighs. I still wasn't going to be able to get to a doctor. So, instead I went to the local drugstore. And I picked up some sleeping medication. Nothing serious, just some sleepy tea, some melatonin and then NyQuil. But same problems presented themselves. 
and new problems too. Now, I had dark bags under my eyes, and they were becoming more noticeable. Even the drugstore pharmacist noticed and recommended Tylenol PM. I was bruised, I looked awful, but when I was home, I felt pretty great. And then for about two weeks straight, I started having and remembering the same dream, just before waking up in the forest. The dream always started out by being blindly bright, and then my eyes would adjust, and I'd come to the realization that I was surrounded by fire. Oddly, I wasn't scared, but it felt like I was in a sauna. I could feel myself sweating. I would just look around and see nothing but flames, and just as I would start to feel like the flames were burning my flesh, I would wake up in the forest, sweating. But now, I actually was scared. And that's what I noticed. Once the dreams started, the fear did too. I stopped taking any sort of sleeping agent, thinking that that had to be my problem. I don't drink, I don't smoke nothing, so I knew that it couldn't be anything like that. Nothing helped to take the fear away, though, because the dream itself was damn near terrifying and happening nightly. Eventually, I noticed I wasn't eating. And I mean, I noticed it in that way. I was buying food and not eating it, just throwing it away, or I'd be putting it in the compost. Just drinking coffee and drinking water. It's like I had no appetite and I forgot to care. I remember joining a forum early on for sleepwalkers when this all started. And by this point, even the people on there started to tell me the same things that everything else online did. Go see a damn doctor already. I at least made some calls, but it was hard enough to get a hold of someone who would take me without insurance at the time. So I waited. It had already been several weeks of bruises, cuts, and now two weeks of the most realistic nightmares. I look terrible. My reflection, it kind of frightens me. But still, when I'm home, I feel pretty great. I honestly cannot explain it. It's hard to explain what happened next, too, because I only recall parts of the days leading up to it. It's times like this I wish I had been with someone. Along with not eating, I was also aware that my mail was piling up. It was as though I knew it was there and that I needed to do something with it. But then another part of me was really trying to forget about daily tasks like that. Had I even showered? Anytime I had that thought, I showered, but it's like I couldn't remember the last time I had. One night, I got on the sleepwalkers forum, but I was shocked to see that my whole account had been disabled. I couldn't figure out what happened, and when I looked in my email, I saw that I received a message from the website saying that they removed my posts. I was no longer able to use the website either. The craziest, craziest part was that they said that I had violated their policies with the obscenities I had written on the website. I had never even so much as put a curse word on there. They wouldn't advise me of what I wrote, but they did believe me 
that my account must have been hacked or something. As I explained, I really needed that website. It was the only thing I had out here. Eventually, I got onto the website with a new username. I joined the forum, and I saw familiar names. I put out a statement that I was sorry if I'd said something that offended someone. I explained that I hadn't written anything, that I wasn't even sure what it was that I wrote. I received immediate responses, people asking if I was okay, that they thought I might have died, or that I was going to hurt myself. I was so confused, but most of them said they couldn't write what I had said, as they were afraid that they would get banned too. There was one user that asked me for my personal email, saying that they could tell me some of the things that I said, and that they had some recommendations for me. I just put my email right into the website. I had nothing to hide, and anyone who could help me at this point was a friend in my eyes. I didn't get an email that night, but I did have that same dream. Except this time, it ended much differently. This time, when I woke up, I could see the fire still. But it wasn't burning me. It was burning the left side of my house. It was burning inside my bedroom. I was completely disheveled. I immediately ran to my truck to grab a fire extinguisher. I knew that I was screwed. There was no way my little extinguisher was going to put this out. I tried anyways, as I thought about what to do next. I did have a phone inside. Likely my cell phone was toast, but my home phone was clear on the other end of the house. I ran and rang the police, asking them to send the fire department. Then my house was on fire, and I had to evacuate. Within a few minutes, someone had shown up. It wasn't the fire department. It was my closest neighbors. They said they saw the smoke billowing from their farm about a mile down the road. They'd brought tools to help put the fire out, so all three of us got to work until the fire department showed up. By the time they showed up, we had contained the fire, but we hadn't put it out entirely. Soon, the police showed up, and they wanted to talk to me, of course, asking me exactly what had happened. I told them the best I could what I experienced, what I had been experiencing. The officer looked at me and said, Are you telling me that you started this fire? That wasn't what I was trying to say, but... I guess there was no other explanation. The way he was looking at me, it made me uneasy. But then I thought about what I actually looked like, and it all made sense. The officers in the fire department asked if I wouldn't mind taking a ride to the closest hospital to get checked out. I basically jumped in the back of the car. I was desperate to get to see someone. And so before I would get myself a doctor's appointment... I would end up at a hospital by way of emergency transport. They kept me overnight for tests and observations, which was the first night in a while that I'd actually slept a real night's sleep. No dreams, no fires, and I didn't wake up outside. But by day two, I was being sent home. $2,800 later, and they still didn't find anything wrong with me. They couldn't find a source for the fire, either. The cause was left as undetermined. 
which I'll tell you in hindsight, actually worked in my favor when it came to insurance. I was terrified I was going to not only face criminal charges for the fire, but also be out of a home. So when I was released from the hospital, I wasn't staying in the home itself. I was renting a trailer that I had parked down the road, and I'd bring it over to the house while I started construction. I had stayed at the property the night I was released with the trailer. And though I didn't wake up outside, I didn't sleep either. I was too spooked. It would be almost three weeks before I would get onto a computer again. When I eventually did, the first thing I did was check my email. I'd received a message, and it was from the same individual who said that they would send me a message the night of the fire. It had come through the next morning, and it read, Dear Ed, Some of your comments concerned users because of their vulgarity. Many of the statements used were out of character for you. They focused around hatred for things like God and prayer, even when there was no mention of them. Your statement of, I will burn every motherfucker to the ground, starting with this motherfucker, was incredibly hostile and ominous. But it was your comments to others that likely got you banned. Attacking random posters with language like fucking cunt and your blood is weak, just like your mind. You'll die in fear. And of course, mentions of slaughtering things, including people and children. So, like I said, people were concerned, as it was very out of character. However, I was concerned for other reasons, too. I just wanted to reach out apart from the forum because what I'm about to suggest isn't for everyone, but I think it could apply to your particular situation. Have you considered the possibility that some sort of infestation or manifestation is taking place with you or your home? I ask that you think about the time leading up to your sleepwalking and ask, aside from the dreams you experienced after you started sleepwalking and ending up outside, had you had any other strange dreams? Dreams where you thought you were interacting with a loved one, someone you trusted? And also, do you practice any sort of religion? Honestly, I think that while you wait for a doctor's appointment, it would be a great idea to consult your local priest. I know you don't know me, and you have no reason to heed my advice, but I strongly insist that in the meantime, you find some sort of protection before you end up hurting yourself or someone else. I've attached a couple of links that you may or may not find helpful. I truly wish you the best, and if it's any consolation, I do believe you when you say you didn't write those things, and that's why I'm writing you today. Please take care. Reading that email, I went from totally embarrassed to scared. I sat in front of my laptop, immediately deleted my account from the sleepwalker forum. I couldn't even believe the things that they'd said I said or that I had said. Either way, I didn't want to go back there. And then I sat in silence inside the trailer next to the house. I turned to look at the house and I looked through the half-finished bedroom. I looked into the forest behind the house. At some point, I found myself in a trance-like state. I zoned out on nothing, basically. And the next thing I knew, hours had passed. Finally, I blinked my eyes profusely, 
and I looked away from the house and the forest. I thought about everything that person had said and everything that I'd been reading when this all started. I was never one to remember dreams much, but I did often dream about my parents. They were both gone and were the only family that I had, so I liked seeing them in dreams from time to time. But now I was reading things about demons trying to reach you in your dreams, disguised as familiar faces like loved ones. That didn't feel right. But I was also reading that this can affect literally anything, this infestation, like cars, homes, inanimate objects, even forests. It wasn't long after that that I sold the place. I still live in Three Rivers, but nowhere near the forest. And I personally haven't had any issues with sleeping, dreaming, or fire since. So I'm happy about that. Before I sold the place, I had hired others to finish the construction. And though I'm not religious like that, I had a priest come out to bless the place. But I don't think the problem was the house. I'm willing to bet that it's in the forest behind it. In 2005, I'd been out of the Marine Corps for about two years, and I was working as a correctional officer in a state prison. My wife wanted to continue her education, so she enrolled in the university, and we moved ourselves, our two children, into an apartment that was part of the student housing on campus. The building was old, and it was a cinder block building that had began its life as a luxury extended stay suites for visiting faculty and other figures that come to serve at the university for extended periods. At some point, the university turned the suites into two-bedroom apartments that barely fit even the loosest interpretation of the building code. Rent was cheap as hell, though, so we could do it on one income. Keep that in mind as you read this and wonder why we stayed. There's what you get for background. Here's the story. The first night that we spent in the apartment, I decided to lay down with my kids in their room, since it was a new space and they were understandably scared. While we were laying there, I was next to my daughter's bed, while my son was in his bed, set along the same wall. My daughter started softly saying, Baby, stop crying. What baby? I asked. She pointed across the room to where there were only some partially unpacked boxes. Daddy, make the baby stop crying. I thought that maybe she was talking about a toy, and so I started to get up to figure it out. Baby stopped crying, Daddy. I laid back down and I stayed close to them, with the intention of only staying there until they fell asleep, and then I would go to bed. I said that was my intention not what happened. As I laid there, I felt my eyes getting heavier and heavier. I closed my eyes and started that wavy feeling of pre-sleep. Then I hear, right in my ear, and I mean I actually heard it with my ears attached to my head. Don't fall asleep here. He takes you somewhere else if you fall asleep here. The voice of a child, with that tone of an urgent warning. I checked and both of my children were asleep. 
I dismissed it as me just being weirded out in a new space. I got up to go to bed. As I walked out the door of their room, the apartment started to kind of morph around me. I found myself in a cave-like space or maybe a tunnel with a dim red glow. And as I walked toward the glow of light, the space started to morph back into something resembling my apartment. But the walls were a pale orange color instead of the standard apartment white. And there were other little details out of place. And none of my stuff. There was no wall between the kitchen and the entryway. And there was no coat closet and food pantry just inside the front door. Just a half wall. I heard the same child's voice again. I told you not to fall asleep in there. He doesn't like adults sleeping in there. And then, everything just kind of melded into my apartment and my stuff. But I was in the living room of this still unfamiliar apartment. Meaning, I would have had to navigate an L-shaped hallway, the kitchen, moving boxes, walls, and another 90-degree turn to get where I was. But I was in my living room again. Now, this is a story about paranormal experiences, not about a PTSD dream or sleepwalking. But I initially dismissed this event as a dream or sleepwalking. We'd been living there for two years while my wife was in school, and I decided that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in a prison. If I wanted to do that, I would commit a felony. So, I quit my job at the prison, and I enrolled in school as well. Over that time, little, dismissible things would happen, but nothing noteworthy. Until the next time. At this point, my son is almost six, my daughter is almost three and both were in the university daycare and preschool. I'd gotten out of my morning class, and I had a few hours until my next class. I went home to chill and maybe work on some homework. After about an hour, my wife got out of one of her classes and she came home too. I was in the living room with my laptop and books. As she came in the door, she smiled at me. Oh, hi, honey. I didn't expect to see you. She glances into the kitchen and then back to me. Are you done with classes for the day? No, I responded. I still have such and such class in a bit. Then why did you go pick up the kids? Wait, what? I didn't go pick them up. I just saw our son in the kitchen, running to his room. The kids were still at daycare. I checked the bedrooms. There were no kids in the house. So time elapses, fast forward, and it's now nighttime. The kids are brushing their teeth at the bathroom sink, which actually isn't in the bathroom, but rather in the hallway outside the bathroom. My wife and I were in the kids' room, picking up toys, in preparation for the bedtime rendition of the Hokey Pokey. You put one in bed, and the other one gets out. Suddenly... Both children simultaneously just started screaming that scream that can only possibly come from a child in true terror. I came busting around the corner and both of the kids were huddled down into the corner, pointing into the bathroom. Daddy, there's a scary elephant. 
both kids insisted that there was a scary elephant in the bathroom. So, what doesn't quite look like an animal but isn't human either? What terrifies children only for the joy of terrifying children? And what can children only describe using the frame of reference from a child's experience? Demons. When I was 17, I was ordained in my church. So I grabbed my vial of anointing oil. Israeli olive oil. And I blessed the apartment and said the prayer to drive out the unclean spirit. Only the unclean. We didn't have any more blatantly demonic experiences in that apartment after that. But there were experiences. At some point, my wife and I had gone to a thrift store and picked up a Sesame Street play kitchen. One of those ones that play character voices when you press the buttons. Most of the buttons didn't work, or you had to use full force of a sumo wrestler falling 20 feet onto the button to make a sound. I was again between classes and home, making myself lunch and getting something into the slow cooker for dinner. Wife was at work and the kids were in daycare. I was alone. I had also just finished putting fresh sheets and blankets on the kids' beds. I was standing in the kitchen, slicing onions with one of those miracle blade knives. And I hear none other than the cookie monster. Oh, cookie, cookie, cookie starts with C and then giggles. Oh, cookie, cookie, cookie starts with C. Hey, Bert, you want some salt? Giggle, giggle. I just about jumped out of my skin and the onion jumped out of my hand. I ran into the kids' room expecting to see some kid in there playing with my kid's stuff. No, still alone in the house. Except the beds looked like someone had just woken up in them. I went back to the kitchen, but along the way, something caught my eye. The carpet was starting to change color, but only in spots. Red little spots. Then I felt the pain. Miracle blade knives are cheap, but... The commercials are not false advertising. Those things are sharp. So I drove myself to the hospital. We moved out of that apartment after my wife graduated. There were more encounters in the apartment that could be attributed to the paranormal, but they could have also been attributed to other causes. If I can naturally explain something, that's what it is. Natural. Even if it didn't seem natural. When all that's left is a leap off of Occam's razor, then I will share it as paranormal. And then sometimes I'm confused with evidence or new information that removes the natural explanation. In my last three semesters, I was teaching a class in television production for the university. I was one of the most knowledgeable persons at the school when it came to running that studio and one of my students was an empty nester that decided to go back to school after her son grew up. She'd originally been a student at the university back in the late 60s and early 70s. She told me about the history of the apartments that I used to live in. She told me about a faculty member who was living there with his family when they were in a really bad car accident and his two children were killed. They lived in the one that is right where we lived. She also said she went to parties in the suites all the time. They used to have a more open floor plan 
just a half wall inside the front door. No closet, no pantry, no wall separating the kitchen from the entryway. And the walls were pale orange. When I was in middle school, so over 18 years ago, my friend and I encountered a very scary man. We always walked the same route home from school because we lived on the same street. We were weird in that we didn't walk the main road route. We liked to avoid having all of the kids on the bus pass us and yell embarrassing things out the windows, as they did. Our preference was the side streets and the back alleyways. The alleyways connected to the backs of the homes on the main street. We weren't really supposed to take this way per our parents, but there had never been any issues with us walking there before. But on one particular day, we ran into a problem. As we passed by one of the houses, one that was especially messy and had lots of trash in the backyard, my friend had made a joke about how stinky it was. We were kids after all. Then, we heard the sound of an older man yelling out. At first, we stopped because we were startled to hear someone. But what he had called out was, Hey, you little bitches. So, we were also confused. He was a large man, and he wasn't that old either. I remember thinking that he looked like my dad's age, who was in his 40s at the time. But he looked angry. The kind of angry that I've never seen on an adult before. My friend and I looked at each other and then decided that we better start walking away. So we did. And we heard him holler after us. Come on back, you little bitches. We started to pick up the pace a bit. We weren't that close to our houses yet, but we knew the area. As we continued walking, we no longer heard the man yelling after us. We decided that at the end of the alleyway, we would make our way back to the main road. But as we actually approached the end, our path was blocked by an old brown and tan pickup truck. And the driver was the man from the alley. He was sitting in his truck, and he stayed there for a while, staring us down with his empty eyes, revving his engine, and twisting his face from anger to amusement. Then I saw the man reach over. I had no idea what he was going to do. Grab something, put the car in park, and get out. Either way, as soon as I saw his hand move, I just booked it in the opposite direction, grabbing my friend's arm. Within moments, we could hear the sound of a truck coming up behind us. I screamed to my friend to follow me, and she shook her head. The alleyway is narrow, so I knew that we couldn't just slide against the garages or walls. So, I looked for the shortest fence that we could find to climb over. I saw a garbage can, and both my friend and I hopped up and over that random fence. The man didn't stop his truck, but he did yell as he passed by, I'll kill you, you little bitches. Followed by several honks from his truck horn and other incoherent yelling. My friend and I were ducked behind a small shed in someone's backyard, trying to catch our breath. We weren't sure if we should knock on this person's back door and tell them what happened. But instead, we just got out of there. The same way that we came in, 
but this time we booked it to the other end of the alley, hung a right, and walked the extra long way home. This time, and every time after, on the main road. It's insane how much we can fear our parents as children. I never told my parents about what had happened because I was terrified of getting in trouble for taking that route home. And my friend didn't tell her parents either. My family moved before high school, so I don't know if she ever did end up telling her parents, but I told my mom just a few years ago. She and my dad were completely shocked that I'd never told them. But even 10 plus years later, they were pretty mad at me. Of course, they couldn't ground me now. Nowadays, I teach kids that aren't much older than I was when all of this happened. And I see how small they really are, how small I must have been, and how big that man was. Someone that goes after children like that, they have to be a form of true evil, right? What does someone like that do if they actually get their hands on a child? Moral of the story, don't talk shit about people's property, stay out of the alleys, and listen to your parents, because you never know who you're going to encounter out there or what they might do. I used to live in a bad area. It was in the west end of Newcastle. At the time, it was so bad that it was actually safer for my friends and I to walk to town rather than go up and get the bus as gangs would hang out around that area and cause trouble. So this was early one winter day, about 7 a.m. It had been lightly snowing and it was about negative 8 degrees, a particularly cold spell at the end of the 1990s. On this day, we had heard that the River Tyne had frozen, and this was an unusual sight, so we decided to walk to town along the river to avoid the bus stop. There was snow falling, so we were having fun and walking down to the riverside path, enjoying our morning walk, throwing snowballs at each other, and sliding around on ice which had formed on the path. Once we reached the river, it was indeed frozen, and we walked along the side. We were the only people there, and there was not another person in sight. Now the river had jetties, which were big wooden pier-like structures, and they went out into the river and were now mostly used by fishermen. As we approached one of these, we made a joke about trying to walk on the river ice and how we would probably end up stuck, needing help. At this point, I saw a man under one of the jetties apparently bending over, looking for something. So I said, we'd end up stuck down there like him. Then we looked and looked closer. This man was not moving. Being young, we just assumed that it was a washed-up mannequin from some stag night which had ended up in the river. But there was something about the situation which was just strange. It was very difficult to get down to where it was, and neither of us wanted to get closer. The skin on it was pure white, and it was wearing what looked like black clothing. We could not see the face, just the body, bent over a beam, supporting the jetty. 
Being the 1990s, neither of us could afford phones, so we were just not really sure what to do. I wanted to phone my mom and get her to come down, so we remembered there was a phone box a little further back, and I volunteered to run back and make the call. On arriving at the call box and calling home, my mother instantly thought that we were trying to get a lift into town, and she refused to come. That was when I used my very serious voice, and she seemed to understand that this was real and that it wasn't just us trying to avoid the snow. I ran back to the jetty, and another man had arrived, who was also concerned that it might be a dead body. None of us wanted to get very close to it. He had a phone and called the police, requesting river police, who by a handy coincidence were already in the area using their boat to break the ice on the river. They arrived at about the same time as my mother. She drove a huge old 1980s Ford Garanda and pulled up alongside us on the river path. She instantly insisted it was just a mannequin and then said she would take us to town and that we should leave. We were then somehow convinced that she was right and were a bit embarrassed about thinking it had been a dead body. The man who called the police also decided to leave and continued his walk. Just as we got in the car, we saw the river police boat approaching in the distance and decided we should at least explain to them our mistake, so we waited for them to arrive. They pulled up to the jetty, and one of them climbed up the ladder and came to see us. We explained. He laughed and said it was okay and that they would remove it and it was no problem so we pointed to the mannequin. And as he looked over, he instantly became super serious upon seeing it, got on his radio, and summoned the local police and the fire brigade to attend. Suddenly, police appeared from everywhere, and we were taken to one side and interviewed about the situation. At this point, we knew that it must actually be a dead body. The firemen arrived and used inflatable sheets to reach the body. The policeman told us that we could stay and watch, but that it was not like you see on TV shows, and we should consider leaving. When we decided to stay, the officer stood with us and explained what was going to happen. This is where it escalated fast. The firemen approached the body, and two of them got a hold of it, but it was frozen solid to the wooden beam. We thought that they would just gently ease it off, but that isn't what happened. Two more firemen went down, and they all pulled at it as hard as they could. There was a huge noise, like a branch snapping, and the body broke in half. Crabs suddenly emerged from inside of it, falling into the mud below, and the policeman casually said, that's the sound of them snapping his spine. Then, they threw the top half of the body into a body bag and started working on the lower half. Another huge snap. That was the sound of them breaking his legs. More crabs and river creatures burst out. They then dragged the two parts of the body up the path. They then lined up three rookie police recruits right in front of the bags they made us walk quite far away, and then they opened the bags to show the new recruits what it looked like. 
what I saw was something from a horror movie. His face had crabs emerging from the eye sockets, and his lips had been totally eaten away. The body was totally bright white, and the hair was gone. One of the policemen threw up. The policeman took our details and asked if we were okay. We were. It all happened so fast, there was no time to process it at all. We were later contacted by a reporter who told us the man's name was Jimmy and that he'd been due in court on some serious criminal charges and that the police believed he had jumped into the river rather than face a long time in prison. It actually made front page of the local paper. I still walk along the same path quite often all these years later and I always stop for a while where we found the body. I've never seen anything like that ever since but it was certainly an event which made us no longer feel like children, but rather adults realizing what the world is really like. I was adopted, and I knew that from a very young age. I appreciated that my parents never hid anything from me regarding my adoption and birth parents. The only thing they left out were details about my birth father. I only remember them telling me that he was an evil man, and that they would tell me why when I was older. Hearing that he was evil at my young age at the time made me incredibly curious about what made people evil. I was about six or seven when I started the nurture versus nature debate in my head. I remember thinking and wondering for years what he'd done and if it was something that was going to affect me through genetics. I distinctly remember one day coming home from high school. I asked my mom what his real name was. She relented and told me, though not the crimes that he'd committed. When we got home, I ran straight to my computer and Googled his name. I barely got halfway through when the Google search filled in his name, and it was obvious he'd made the news. I began reading articles and news reports related to what he did. Simply put, he'd set a bunch of fires to businesses. He'd killed random large animals, horses and such, and shot strangers on the street with a friend of his, for fun, essentially. I read police transcripts of him talking about his crimes and how he seemed to get a thrill out of killing unsuspecting people on the streets because he had the control. He could see them, but they couldn't see that their life was about to end. There were a few years that I went back and forth on his case, reading more and more about it, even to the point of coming upon a news report of a victim of his who was shot and survived, but died about ten years later. I remember wanting to reach out to the family, but what would I say? That I was related to the man that shot him and led to the complications that ultimately killed him? I'd never even met my birth father, so what help could I be? 
I found his prison ID and came to a confusing dilemma. Do I send him a letter? If so, do I tell him who I was and that I was aware of what he did? Do I leave it alone? Every time I think about it, I come to the same conclusion, that it wasn't a good idea. I'd love a reason as to why he did it, but I don't think I'll ever get a satisfying enough answer. I have actually reached out to my birth mother, though. We've never talked about what my birth father did, but I've thanked her for putting me up for adoption, as I've had an incredible life because of it. I was the youngest of three daughters she'd had, one with the same father and one without. I was the only one adopted, and that's something I'll always wonder about. Why me? Why was I the one that was given away? Ultimately, I never sent a letter, though I'm still a touch uncertain. I wonder how I'll feel if I hear he died and I never got to say anything to him, but at the same time, would it really matter? I'll never forget the way this story impacted me, and still does to this day. I even have a bit of a sick running joke that my good eye for distance came from my birth father. I wish I could count the hours I spent wondering if I'd turn out like him, wondering if there was something that triggered him into doing what he did that would trigger me as well. But for anyone else potentially wondering, no, I don't think I'll turn into a serial killer. My birth father was a disgusting man. I was raised by attorneys and shown the dark side of humanity from a young age. And I know how it can ruin lives. I'll never become what he was. But of course, I worried about that when I was a seven-year-old. What else could I do? But I know that I'm a good person and I live a good life. And he's in prison for the rest of his And so we've reached the end of The Darkest Hour. But a very big thank you to everyone who shared their stories and to everyone for listening. Be sure to join me every Friday night at 11 p.m. Do you have stories like these? I'd love to share them. Send them to me, amandadarkesthour at gmail.com and check out our subreddit, The Darkest Hour YT. And if you want to keep listening to the show and you never want it to end, be sure to subscribe to the Darkest Hour YouTube channel. Stay spooky. <laughs> <laughs>